The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. So today on episode 9, we have Pastor Matt Truella, Senior Pastor of Mercy Seat Christian Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Pastor Truella is also the founder of the pro-life organization Missionaries to the Preborn, and author of the book The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. So Pastor Matt, welcome to Master's Crib. Hey, good to be here with you, Jason. Thank you. So let's just take a couple minutes and talk about uh, you and your ministry. So how long have you been a pastor? I've been pastoring since 1988, wow. so 32 years now. No uh, experience. Yeah, 32 years. That's it's hard to believe, but yeah, that's how long it's been, so 32 years. Now, as far as Mercy Seat Christian Church, uh, you, you are the founder, you started the church, so what year was that? We started the church in 1988. Okay. I was... Um, Christian had pastored for a year before that um, at, a, at a church, 1987 to 1988. And then in 1988, just decided to start having Bible studies in homes. And within several months, we had enough people, a poor group, about 40, 50 people, that we decided to start a congregation. Mm. And that was Mercy Seat, where I've been pastoring all these years now. Wow. That's awesome. So what is the mission of the Mercy Seat Christian Church? to glorify Christ in the earth, um, to, to do right by him regarding the function of the church, you know, to be a place where there's sound, solid teaching in the word of God, mm. where there's good worship taking place in the sight, uh, where those things which are dear to his heart are being done in the earth, um, including um, addressing magistrates, extremely mm. important to do. Um, much of Christianity has, has abandoned that field or that realm speaking to the magistrates we view that as massively important in our day to instruct them in the word of god mm. regarding their duty um, as seen in scripture so um yeah we, we have a whole host of ministries at our church you now people go to prisons we have to do ministry we have people um go out to the death camps you know where they have murdered the preborn to do ministry we do a ministry out at the universities open air preaching just a whole host of wow things that we do. You guys have a lot People going on. Yeah, that is that is wonderful. So, yeah. what prompted you to uh, get into the writing of the doctrine of lesser magistrate? It was um, regarding the preborn. I was uh, the doctrine simply is that when the higher ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral law policy or court the lower or lesser rank authority is both the God-given right and duty not to obey the higher authority and, if necessary, to act exist. Mm. So I was astounded that here, you know, they're murdering people, killing innocent people, these little preborn babies, and yet we hadn't seen 
one governor, not one state legislature, not one mayor, not one city council. No one stand on behalf of the freeborn and say, no, they won't be murdered here. And I had a minister who I respected who had told me about this doctrine of the lesser magistrate. And there was really nothing to find. <laughs> There's no books, you know, just written on it or anything like that. And so um, after ministering on behalf of the preborn for, wow, for all over 20 years, mm -hmm. I decided to write some articles on the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. They were well received by people. Many people told me the same thing I encountered. Hey, can't find much of material on this doctrine. Mm. And so I decided at that time I needed to write a book. So I spent about two years putting the book together. In the midst of that, we also published the Magdeburg Confession. Mm. The Magdeburg Confession was written in 1551 in Magdeburg, Germany. And that's a great story in itself. In fact, I have a chapter devoted to story there in Magdeburg, my book. Um, but the ministers there wrote a confession showing from the word of God and from history that their magistrates there in Magdeburg, Germany, were right to defy the emperor mm. after Martin Luther had died. Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, tried to re-Romanize all of the Protestant lands, bring them back to the Roman Catholic rule and practice. And Magdeburg was the only city that stood in interposition and refused to go along with that. There was a conflict that took place that lasted for 13 months, and in the end, um, Charles withdrew, and the Magdeburgers won. Had it not been for the interposition of that city, Jason, mm. called Magdeburg, um, the Reformation would have likely just been a blip on the radar screen of human history. That's how important the interposition was. That was the first time, that confession was the first time the doctrine was laid out in the doctrine format. Even wow. though you can see it practiced in Old Testament scriptures, you can see it in non-Jewish, non-Christian nations practice showing its natural to man. And you can also see it throughout the history of Western civilization and Christianity. Hmm. It wasn't formalized as a doctrine to the Magdeburg Confession in 1550 wow. there in Magdeburg, Germany. Well, that is really, really awesome. So, obviously, if it took you two years, this is two years of some serious reading and investigation. So, you have uh, you have a lot of time just probably um, in research of this topic and its uh, implications throughout history, right? Very much so. In fact, the the confession itself was written in Latin. All important theological works were that mm. it was then translated into the German. Um, the, the printing press was a new feature in the world at that time and they made uh, 1500 copies and sent them out throughout the Holy Roman Empire when I began I just wanted to read it I don't read Latin I don't read German I just wanted to read it in English I spent eight months trying to track down an English version talked to scholars librarians historians across America and Europe and they had several along the way tell me, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's ever been an English translation. <laughs> so finally, a guy from Concordia University here in the Milwaukee area who works at their library and his, his um, specialty is rare works, he contacted me because he heard I was looking for that. And he said, yeah, there's got to be an English version. He spent a month trying to track one down. And finally contacted me back and he said, well, you were right. There never has been an English translation. Oh, my goodness. And 
Through his help, we were able to secure a 1550 original from the Bavarian State Library in Munich, Germany. And um, I hired a guy with a PhD in Latin Greek, Matt Holden, and he just took the job as a hired gun to translate it. But two weeks into it, he contacts me. I cannot believe this document has never been translated into English. He goes, this is such an important document to the freedoms um, that came about in Western civilization to the founding of our own nation. I said, right? How is it possible that this was never translated in English? <laughs> so now we have this work from antiquity, if you will, um, the Magdeburg Confession, and then my contemporary work on the doctrine where I go over all the different tenets of the doctrine mm. um, available to people um, at our website, defytyrants.com. Wow. That is really, really awesome. So, I mean, there's just so much going on out at, uh, out at Mercy Seat. That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> so let's just take a few minutes and um, kind of tear into the word, you and I. There is a lot going on in our nation at this um, particular point. A lot of things that um, need to be considered, and um, that's why I'm really glad that uh, you're joining me tonight so we can talk about some of these things. Um, I just want to read our passage for tonight, which is Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, and it says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjugation, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So there is a lot of confusion about what this means. And we hear pastors left and right in this particular time with the government shutdown and with uh, some states being on pause, not really understanding fully the implications of this passage. And that's kind of something that I was hoping we could kind of clear up a little bit tonight. So as we're looking at this passage, would you just for a couple minutes, Pastor Matt, talk about the origin of authority? Sure, absolutely. Well, all authority finds its origin in God himself. He is the ultimate authority. In Daniel chapter 4, it says that the Most High rules over the realm of mankind. So God is the ultimate authority, and he has created four governments three great governments called family government, church government, civil government. Those three great governments produced within the individual self-government. Those are the four governments. Self-government, family government, church government, civil government. That God has established in the earth. And it's very important that those governments be established for the sake of man. Mm. So anyone who possesses authority within one of those governments 
are to govern according to his rule. So when it comes to software, of course, we should govern our lives according to his rule mm. within our individual lives. When it comes to family government, father and mother possess authority within that government. They are to govern according to his rule. Mm. Um, within church government, elders, pastors, other authority figures within denomination or church, um, they should govern according to his rule. And it's no different than civil, civil authority. The authority they possess is delegated to them by God, and therefore they are to govern according to his rule. Mm. So all authority originates with God. It's extended to man, the earth, for man's good. But man can pervert the authority given to him. You see that self-government, plenty of individuals. Um, you see that in family government. You see it in church government. You see it in civil government. The authority given to those who possess authority within any of those governments can hmm. abuse their authority. And the doctrine of the lesser magistrate is about what is to take place when abuse of authority is practiced within within the realm of civil government. Hmm. Can you um, just give us one example from the Bible? about self-government? I know there are many, and it's probably um, a huge plethora to choose from, but could you just give us one biblical example? Sure. Well, self-government is how you govern yourself, and that is a watchword in my home. We have 11 children, Hmm. and the design is to produce within each of their lives the ability to govern themselves under God. And so we (laughs) teach them as a mother and as as a father what God's word says, what his law and word says, and then encourage them to govern their lives in obedience to his law and word. Mm. That's all self-government is, mm. is governing yourself. Awesome. So, yep. So what then is the actual purpose of governing authorities? Now you listed out four governments, uh, four great governments, and then, and then um, self-government. So what is the purpose of the governing authorities? The purpose of the governing authorities ultimately is to um, bring cohesiveness to society in family life, church life, civil life, and to also, um, point men to Christ. And all three of the governments point men to Christ. Mm. Um, Of course, family government does. We as Christian parents point our children to the Lord, to live in obedience to him. Um, You know, you take, for example, the matter of you shall not steal. We teach our kids you shall not steal. They go to church. Church government takes place. The church affirms this. You shall not steal. Civil government needs to do the same thing. It should mirror and uphold the law of God. So civil government should teach young people, um, you should not steal. And if you do steal, the civil authorities possess the sword, as we see here in Romans 13 Mm. in the text, in order to bring punishment upon those who are adults who do decide to steal. Mm. So it's extremely important these governments are made for the good of mankind to bring order to society and also to point men to Jesus because um, when the law of, uh, when the laws of men mirror the law of God it helps men to see their need for Jesus Christ that they've fallen short mm-hmm. of 
his glory that they've sinned. Um, so when they abuse their authority, it helps men to justify their sin or to rationalize weigh their sin. So for instance, you know, when they say that homosexuality is okay, mm -hmm. that of course is an abuse of their authority. The civil authorities say homosexuality is okay. Mm. It's not okay. And if they say it's okay, it's easier for men to justify in their minds being involved in that perverted behavior. Whereas if they criminalize it, as it was in Western civilization for nearly 2,000 years, as it should be, then men more readily see that they sinned against God, see it for what it is, and therefore. So when you talk. That, that's that's one that's really awesome when you talk about the abuse of their power um where can the church i mean where can we know where their authority is limited like what is the limit on the authority of the governing powers yeah the way western man has always held to it is is that at the very baseline if civil authority makes any law contrary to God's law. It is viewed as no law at all, and it is to be resisted on mm. space. That, that, that is the bottom line. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you read Alfred the Great in the 9th century, you read John of Salisbury in the 12th century, or you read William Blackstone in the 18th century, who's the most cited legal scholar by America's founders. All of them declared God's law to be the higher law to which all men and all governments of men were accountable. Mm. And this is a great goodness <laughs> to mankind because it gives a place for men to call men to repentance, a place of reform, to call men to reform, a place of, you know, um, you know to call men to repentance. Yeah. Things go off, off course. Mm. And so things haven't been perfect throughout Western civilization by any no. means. Anything that man's involved in gets corrupted to some extent, including matters of Christianity and matters of government. But because that was the object of standard, the law of God was the object of standard to which all men and all governments and men were accountable. When we did go off, of course, men could point to that and say, we need to repent. We need mm. to reform. We need to change what we're doing here. Mm. Now that we've thrown it under the bus, <laughs> most Christian churches have thrown it under the bus too, I'm talking about God's law, then the state is free to make it up as they go. They're no longer, um, no longer are beholden to this object of standard. Mm. They get to make up what is the law. And as you can see, it's not going good. You know, we're murdering the free law. Um, oh, yeah. Version of homosex, transgenderism. A whole host of evils, pornography is everywhere. Um, divorce is rampant. Um, we've abandoned God and we've forgotten God. And because mm. of that, our nation is an awful mess. It seems as though since we want to be welcoming and we want to be loving, it seems as though the message that the church has been giving to people over the past, uh, you know, I'm, I'd say probably greater than 20 years, but at least 20 years is uh, come as you are. Uh, wherever you are, whatever you believe, that's fine, and leave as you came. And that seems to be the, the standard. You know, God loves you where you are. He doesn't really care what you've done. So a lot of these things, like, like you're discussing right now, you know, people's stance on, on marriage, 
the church has kind of gotten soft because we don't want to lose people or we don't want to, you know, have the area think that somehow we're those strange fundamentalists that, uh, that are just tossing out um, God's wrath on everyone. I mean, do you see that as kind of being a part of the problem is just the, the pastors don't really understand what biblical authority is? Yeah, well, that's a huge problem. The church has shown far more of an interest over the last two decades, if not longer, as you say, um, desiring to be rather than to be the salt of the earth, mm. to be the sugar of the earth. Ah, the, wow. The primary thing they seem to, most churchmen seem to be interested in is being liked, um, building buildings, um, keeping numbers up, um, not stepping on anyone's toes. And it's important to understand that we as his ministers we're his priests. And as priests, we are to represent God to man. Mm. We are to represent man to God. It's not an either or. If we just want to represent God to man, we can become harsh. If we just want to represent man to God, we become compromising. Mm. And that is the greater sin within Christianity amongst churchmen today, is we just want to represent man to God and become yeah. very compromising. Wow, what is There's what's more. What's that? I've just that that's really a sad state that we've come to when we've become like like you said instead of the salt we become the sugar and you know like you said we can become to one end where it's harsh and then to the other end where you know we're really ineffective in what we're trying to do yes and that's why our fealty has to be to Christ first you can't truly love your neighbor properly biblically unless you love Christ first mm. And what I've seen with most of my fellow churchmen over the last decades is something wholly different, where love has been redefined to be this sentimental nonsense that most of the world mm. has defined love to be. Biblical love is very different than that. Biblical love understands that by keeping the law and word of God, we are demonstrating our love not only for the Lord, but also towards our neighbor. Mm. So that doesn't mean... Love doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do, and I get to do whatever I want. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, what yeah. most of them made love into nowadays. No, love means um, we live in obedience to the Lord ourselves. We point men to live in obedience to his rule also. Wow. That's amazing. So within, now you've already laid out these, I'm, I'm going to say five um, governments now. Um, so we, I've had this conversation with a couple different guys, and there's been some different ideas out there. So um, would you please just put these in their order? Like we start here, then we appeal to, and I know you've already said them in the order, but can you also point out um, why that is the way it is? So why do we start at this level and then move to this level? Because as you know, and, and I know, and probably most listeners know, we have this kind of backwards where we start to appeal to. So would you take just a couple minutes and just explain the hierarchy of authority as far as governing authorities go? Absolutely. There's God. He's the ultimate authority. The other governments come directly from him. So below God, whatever you want to draw a circle, whatever, God is the ultimate authority. Mm -hmm. There are four lines coming down. Self to self-government, family government, church government, and civil government. Each of those governments are on par with one another. By the way, that's what we call a federalism. Mm. And that's what our founders originally established. In a true federalism, all four of these great governments matter. We now live in what we call a statist hell, where the state 
has invaded the realms of self-government, family government, and even church government. Mm. Sadly, that's been done voluntarily by the ministers themselves, regarding 501c3 and things like that. But we live in a status tower where the civil government has left its role, function, and limits. Because each of these four governments, self, family, church, state, they all have their own role, function, and limits. And whenever one of these governments decides to invade the other of the governments for a purpose that they weren't designed by God to possess, chaos ensues in the situation. So it's important for us to understand that um, the authority, um, and, and there used to be, um, Jason, what we call election sermons in our country from the time of the colonies all the way up until the mid-1800s, even into the 1870s. And these election sermons were held at the Capitol or at City Hall. And all the magistrates would come to them. Um, the people, the public was invited, many of them would come. And a minister was selected to instruct them from the word of God regarding the role, function, and limits of the civil government, mm. <laughs> you know? and. Since that all has vanished away, you know, it's lost its restraining influence upon the magistrates, mm. that instruction from the Word of God. There's only one state left that I know of that does election sermons, and that's the state of Montana. Mm. And I was honored to speak at their election sermon in 2015. Awesome. They asked me to speak, talk on the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. So... It's extremely important that people understand that God's word does speak to all matters of life, including mm. matters of civil government. And of course, family government, self-government, church government also. And therefore, we need to learn from his word what are the roles, functions, and limits of each of those authorities. So they're not under each other. One's not above the other. Mm. They're all under God, directly at the same level, but they possess different roles, functions, limits teach them mm. oh, I'm so glad you said that 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 really paints a beautiful picture of of the way these governing authorities are laid out so uh, when we talk about hierarchy it's not this one's greater than this one or, or this one's greater than this one it's it's God is overall and we all within our our governing authorities each one like you said has their own functions and their own limits and I think that that's something that the church is kind of missing today is what are the functions of these governments and what are the limits? And it seems like that's kind of when the lines get blurred, we immediately go to the other end. Is that about right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, if, if you don't, if the people don't understand the functions, roles, and limits of each of these governments, and especially when it comes to civil government, then they cannot see when something wrong is being done. Mm. They cannot see when tyranny is taking place. That's how important the word and law of God is to the matters of civil government. That's how important it is for magistrates to be schooled and instructed in God's word regarding their office as mm. magistrates. They are, as you read in the text, his ministers. And as his ministers, they are to rule pardon me, there to govern according to his rule. That's extremely important. Right now, they're doing exactly the opposite. In fact, it seems like the civil magistrates kind of, you know, 
go to the word of God, see what he has to say, and then make law exactly the opposite mm -hmm. you know, of yeah. what his word has to say in so many areas of life. You know, you shall not murder. Oh, no, you can murder your own son or daughter. Mm. Man and woman should be married. No, no, we'll let man and a man or woman and woman get married. Man doesn't work, neither should. No, no, we'll create a culture in which you don't have to work and still get to Odd down the line, you could talk about this for 20 minutes. Absolutely. Um, it's like they, they go to the Word of God and say, well, we want to do exactly opposite of what he says. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, how yeah. strong the rebellion is right now. So if you were to look and just kind of give everyone a summary, we're looking at the contemporary situation that we're in, and um, you know well, I know, I, I know well that this passage is being greatly misunderstood today and it's leaving a lot of christians not really knowing what to do we have people out there that are saying we should do every single thing that's coming down our way no matter what because that's what this passage says and we have other people that are saying well maybe we don't have to do everything that is being told to us here so what exactly um you don't have to be too specific but with our situation that we're facing today with the pandemic what are the implications of romans 13 1 through 7 on this situation sure well let me say a few brief things about romans 13 and then i'll, I'll make that application if that works okay mm -hmm. um so here you have people they come to romans 13 verse 1 through 7 and they say oh the Bible teaches we're always to obey the civil authorities. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is, when you look at our text, Jason, you can look at it and say, nowhere in that passage does it say we're always to obey the civil authorities. That's something that men impose upon the text. Mm. That's what we call eisegesis. Eisegesis is the, word, the Greek word into, ice. It's where you read something into the passage that's not there. We don't want to do eisegesis when we're um, looking at the Word of God. We want to do exegesis. Exegesis mm. is the Greek word. It means out. In other words, you draw out from the passage what was the original intended meaning of the writer to the hearers. Mm. And so in um, understanding right from the beginning, there is nothing in this passage that says we're always to obey the civil authorities. In fact, there isn't one verse in the word of God that says we're always to obey the civil authorities. Mm. And that brings me to my second point. It's an attack upon good biblical hermeneutics to make such an assertion. Biblical hermeneutics just meaning proper biblical interpretation. It's an attack upon good biblical hermeneutics to say that Romans 13 is teaching that we should always obey the civil authorities because there's many other passages of scripture found within the word of God where people don't obey the civil authorities and God commends them mm. for not obeying. You see that with the Hebrew midwives who were told by the civil authorities to kill all the children. Mm. They refused to do so. They did not go along. When you look at Daniel, you know, he was told he couldn't pray. He prayed anyway. You know, mm. in fact, he by his window so people could see he knelt down so nobody could mistake what he was doing and he did it three times so that he'd get caught <laughs> you know so it's like he, he took a stand and those two examples just on on those two examples alone jason give us the um what what has been the standard historically mm. for christian men and that is this when the state commands that which god forbids like with the midwives murder or forbids that which god man's like with daniel prayer we are to obey god rather than man 
Mm. And the state commands that which God forbids, or forbids that which God commands, we're to obey God rather than man. That is um, the biblical standard um, that we see from the Word of God. So, in proper biblical hermeneutics, um, we have a maxim that we live by. And it's called Scripture Interprets Scripture. I know you know this. Oh, yes, yes. Scripture with a big S interprets Scripture with a small s. In other words, when you look at one passage, Scripture with a small s, you cannot look at it by itself. Mm. You have to look at it in light of its context, and you have to look at it in light of the whole of God's Word. Mm. Scripture with a big S interprets Scripture with a small s. And so when you look at all these different passages um, over and over again, three Hebrew children and um, the wise men who you know, were told to come back and tell where Jesus was. He did, you know, and on and on. And even Paul, who penned Romans 13, when you look at 2 Corinthians 11, um, he knew that the civil authorities wanted to arrest him. And rather than submit to that, he craftily fled down the side of a wall in a basket. Um, so this idea that we are always to obey the civil authorities is not found in Scripture anywhere. Mm. It's rather an act of bad hermeneutics and um, an act of eisegesis where men are imposing that on the text. In fact, the, the writers of Magdeburg Confession called this idea that we were always supposed to obey the civil authorities. They called it, quote-unquote, an invention of the devil. And um, when it comes to the three great governments, family government, church government, and civil government, when you look at the word of God, Jason, here's what you see. We see in um, God's word that children are told to always obey their parents. There's no, like, conditional clauses or limitation clauses. Just you're always to obey your parents mm. and the Lord. <laughs> okay. So, but no one would take that to mean that, you know, if a father told his boy, hey, go up to the gas station on the corner and rob it, because if you get caught, you'll only go to juvenile for a month or two. But if I go get caught, I'll go to prison for years. No one would fault the boy for not obeying his father. He would mm. know that he's outside the limits of um, his rule, <laughs> you know, of his yeah. governance. And the same thing when it comes to church government. Um, even though it says in Hebrews 13, it simply says, obey those who have the rule over you. There's no limitation clauses, no conditional clauses. Yet no one would take that to mean that, for example, a congregant found out that the pastor is giving money out of the offering plate. Mm. And he tells the congregant, oh, don't, don't tell the elders. No one would fault the congregant for telling the elders oh, because right. he knows the pastor is abusing his authority. Mm. But for some reason, when it comes to civil authority, civil government, Christians think they're always supposed to obey no matter what. And that's because they're taught that false teaching mm. by the pulpits that they sit under. And when it comes to civil authority, there are actually limitation clauses, conditional clauses, as we read here in our passage in Romans 13. The duty of the magistrate is to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. Mm. So to bring it up to our day and age right now with this whole insanity that's going on where um, they're quarantining the whole of society, which is against God's law. God's law is clear in Leviticus 13 that you quarantine the sick, right. and that's what mankind has done over the centuries. You don't quarantine the whole of society. 
can you quarantine the sick? Right. And so when it comes to churches, you know, being shut down, they should not allow that to take place. Mm. Because the simple question is, is it evil to go to church? And the answer is no. no. Right. Now, I'll tell you what is evil. What is evil is telling people that they have to get a vaccine. And that's where we're headed on this whole mm. thing. I fear it's that. an attack upon self-government, the state telling you what you're going to place within your body. It's also an attack on family government by civil authority, because it's them telling you what you're going to put into your children's body. Mm. That is evil. They are abusing their authority. They are going outside the limits that God has placed within their realm of authority. And therefore, they should be resisted and not obeyed when it comes to those matters. When you look at this thing of churchmen shutting down the churches, think about this. The history of Christianity established early on that the state could not enter the church building. You may recall the story of Ambrose with the emperor Theodosius. What did he do? He stood for righteousness and he stood for the authority of the church. He literally stood in the doorway and barred the state entrance. Mm. You have the same thing with Chrysostom. Remember John Chrysostom, uh, Eutropius, who was number two in all the Roman Empire at that time, came under, <laughs> you know, the um, suspicious eye of the emperor. He fled to John Chrysostom's church. John Chrysostom would not let the state authorities come in and touch Eutropius while he was inside that church building. So in the past, you have churchmen who actually barred the state from entrance into the church. The Mm. type of churchmen we have today are so weak, such traitors, such whores, that they are actually allowing the state to bar them Mm. and the people who are part of the congregation from entering the church building. Mm. That's absurd. This is outside their authority. You know, you could make a case for it, perhaps, just out of common sense, if there was an actual plague going on Mm. that was killing millions of people, (laughs) you know? But (laughs) that is not the case here. It's been shown and proven. Everyone knows now COVID-19 wasn't what they said it was going to be, wasn't even close to what they said it was going to be. And yet still, the churchmen are going along with this ill behavior, this abuse of authority by the magistrates, when they should face them down. They should face them down immediately. You'll notice the magistrates aren't backing off in most places. In most places, they're continuing to push and extend these stay-at-home orders, including you can't meet in your church buildings. Mm. The churchmen need to take a stand, exercise the authority that church government possesses, and stand in defiance of the civil authorities who are abusing their authority, what they do then is they provide leadership to the populace at large, Mm. and they encourage the populace at large to take a stand against the abuses of the civil authority that are taking place right now. Because it is evil what's going on here. See what you did? You went through and you answered all my questions. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) that's, That's great. That is so good. 
Pastor Matt, I thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate this conversation. I know you're a busy guy. You have a lot going on out there, and I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I just wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to find out where they can find out more about you and more about Mercy Seed, uh, where they can buy your book. Would you just tell them that? Sure. Yeah, our website for our church is mercyseat.net, N-E-T. And, um, yeah, you can go there and um, check us out. Um, another website that I run is missionariestothepreborn.com. That's a Christian mission we have on behalf of the preborn here in the, Wisconsin, in the state of Wisconsin, in the city of Milwaukee, for um, about 30 years now. And, um, and then this other site is defytyrants.com. Defytyrants.com is our website where we teach the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. We have many articles and news stories there um, regarding the doctrine of the lesser magistrate in action, how it works, and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So those are the best ways to get all of If you want to get all of the book, you can go to defytyrants.com or you can go to Amazon. Great. Great. Well, thank you again so much. I really, really appreciate it. I'm going to be praying for you, your family, and for the ministry of Mercy Seat. So again, thank you, Matt. No, thank you, Jason. I just thank God that there's faithful men like yourself uh, ministering for Christ here and there. God bless you. God bless you too.